We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. Many of you will remember what you were doing at 12.51 on February 22nd, 2011. If you lived in Christchurch, I appreciate that you had no idea if you didn't live in Christchurch, but if you lived in Christchurch on that day, or you were in Christchurch on that day, you would have known what happened at 12.51pm. We all experienced um, an earthquake that changed our city forever. And the emotions that were going through I don't know about you, but what I observed in myself and those around me were grief for those who we had lost, um, fear as to, you know, these ongoing aftershocks and was it going to get worse, and then quite a sense of uncertainty, like would we actually rebuild Christchurch and how, how was this all going to play out and how long, it was, I don't think any of us imagined how long it would take, uh, and what does the future look like? And in this series, we're looking at resilience and um, various speakers who spoke into the situation in Christchurch talked about resilience. And I thought, I I should actually go back and look at what they said. And let let me just share with you a part of a speech that John Key, the Prime Minister at the time, gave on February the 23rd. So this is the, the day after the earthquake. And earlier on in the speech, he, he is very good speech. Um, you can look it up online if you want. He talked about showing compassion, obviously, for those who had lost their lives. And, of course, we still didn't know exactly how many lives at that point. Um, and he talked about the practical help that all the um, rescue effort that was coming in and things like that. But this is the end of his speech. Listen to this. Already the bravery and resilience of Canterbury is on show. In the weeks ahead, our journey will take us to new obstacles, new challenges. We have a city to rebuild. We have people's livelihoods to restore. We have a community's confidence to inspire. We will rise to these challenges. We will rebuild the city resolutely. And with the conviction that this is what it is to be a Cantabrian, what it is to be a New Zealander. We are a country of pioneers. Whether we come by waka, sailboat or airplane, we came with the conviction that we could build a new life in this country. That great pioneering spirit will come to the fore in Christchurch over the coming months and years. Though lost lives will never be replaced, and though your city will never look the same again, you will rebuild your city. You will rebuild your lives. You will overcome. You're inspired. You know, that's actually quite a motivating speech. I thought it was quite good, really. And what stood out for me in the latter part of John Key's speech there is not just the compassion that he showed earlier on and the practical help, all of which we needed, but also the vision and the hope. We as Cantabrians at that time, we needed a bit of hope, didn't we? Because we're like, we're just walking around streets of liquefaction and houses that were crumbling down and things like that. And we're just going, man, I, you know, and some of us just went, right, we're out of here. And that's understandable because you had to go, what, what's going to get me through this? Why do I put up with all this mess and chaos? Well, in some ways we didn't have any choice, but there had to be someone to come along and go, hey, 
we will rebuild the city. And that gave us vision. That gave us hope. And in this series that we're looking at and called Resilience, we're looking at what needs to be in place in our lives for us to cope with those sort of challenges. And there is a universal truth that John Key and others tapped into that in order to have the resilience to push through a difficulty of rebuilding and all that sort of thing, we need, you know, the difficulty in the present, we need hope for the future. We need a clear vision that what, what's ahead of us is better than what we're going through right now. Otherwise, you'd just go, oh, well, if this is it, I'll, I'll give up now. But if someone's saying, no, there is something better, it gives you vision and, and it gives you the resilience to push through what you're going through. However, even though that's a truth for everybody, we all need vision, we all need hope in our lives. Christians, we as followers of Jesus, that vision ought to be clearer and more compelling than everyone else around us. There should be a, a strength in a Christian. There should be a deeper and stronger resilience in us to face those challenges because there is a clarity of vision in our lives. Paul expressed this in um, Philippians chapter 3. So you can turn in your Bibles or it will come up on the screen. I'm starting halfway through verse 4. So Philippians 3, 4 says this. And this is kind of um, Paul's testimony about his life. If someone else thinks that he have, has reasons to put confidence in the flesh or confidence in themselves and their natural ability, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as far as righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Now, this is a guy with vision. This is a guy who grew up, and, and, and you kind of look at all that and go, well, what, what does that mean? What that's saying is that Paul, right from a young age, had a vision for his life. He was going, I'm going to be the best of the best. He was very highly educated, went to you know, the, the most respected schools, and he was kind of like head boy, if you like. He, he was going places. And then when opportunities came up, he went, right, I'll take the lead. Yeah, I'm the one. He stepped up. He took the leadership. He, he led the, the peers around him. He was going places. This wasn't a guy that was kind of down in the gutter and Jesus kind of rescued him and, he, and gave him a life that he didn't have. Paul had a life. He had a great life. But then he encounters Jesus and his whole vision changes. Verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. All that education, all that religion that I followed, all that dedication, all that vision, I, I count it all as rubbish. Actually, in, in your version, it might even have stronger words than that. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection 
and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from dead, from the death. See, the problem with Paul, what he's expressing here, is not that his life lacked vision. He had plenty of vision. It was just the wrong vision. And so that's, that's a good place to start with your life. When you're looking at, well, what's my hope? What's my vision? What's, what's my purpose for the future? A really good question is to step back and go, well, am I, am I going in the right direction? Like, not, not kind of even looking at the details yet, but am I going the right way? If I, you know, I've been going this way, but should I be going that way? And, and for Paul, Jesus, this encounter with Jesus completely spun him around 180 degrees, and he went in completely the different direction. Uh, I don't think it was, was it last Monday night or the Monday night before Tuesday? Somewhere around about there. It was the final of The Apprentice. Now, I don't know if you watch reality TV shows, but I've been following that show a little bit. And, and so I watched the final of The Apprentice. Now, if you don't know what this show is about, it's a TV show where basically the best of the best, so um, kind of young people in their 20s, maybe early 30s, They've done really well in business and, and they're going after the, the entrepreneurs and they're going after this $50,000 fund that Mike Perot was going to give them to, to, to further on their business. And the last thing that they had to do was down to two people and each of them had to do a presentation on why Mike Perot should invest $50,000 in their business idea. Now the really intriguing thing about this for me is these guys got up and sold their business idea, like with passion, like like they 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 were really really passionate about it, and you can understand that fifty thousand dollars was on the line. But it wasn't just the money; they actually believed that their product, their thing that they were promoting, was going to transform people's lives. They literally used those kind of words, like this is life changing. I mean, we're going to like one of them was going. It was basically indicating that we're going to solve half of the mental health problems in New Zealand if we just buy this product. And I was like, going, I can't believe these guys are so passionate about something that isn't that great. So here were the two products. One was coffee. Okay. Now, some of you actually might think that changes the world, but <laughs> some of you might think your world doesn't start until you've had your morning coffee. So one of them was coffee, and the other one was party balloons. <laughs> Life-changing stuff, right? But if you, if you, you, can, you can watch it if you like. But these guys were utterly convinced it was life-changing, and I was thinking, wow, how come these guys, who are completely on the wrong track, just... Saying, I don't know where their, their faith is at and things like that, but generally on that program, these guys are just after worldly stuff and money and all that sort of thing. If these guys can be so passionate about how what they're doing is changing people's lives, how much more should we be? How much more should we have this vision of what God can do in us and how that truly does transform our lives? And that's a message of hope for the world around us. That it also changes people's lives. And so the first thing that we see here is that for Paul to have that resilience to get through, because he goes through some pretty difficult things. He's threatened with death on numerous occasions. He gets imprisoned on numerous occasions. But Paul has a compelling vision. Why? Because he had encountered Jesus. 
And so that's base one today. If you don't know Jesus, if you're sitting in this room today and you're going, I didn't even know you can have a relationship with God, that you can know Jesus. Can I clearly outline it to you as best I can today? That the God who created this world created you. He has a purpose for your life. He wants to know you. He wants a life with you here on earth. And also, when you die physically, you'll go to be with him in eternity. That's his plan for you. And Paul had this revelation. He he encountered Christ and he realized, as he expressed in the words here, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, knowing this relationship that he could have with God, the reality of who Jesus was impacted him. And that's a question that every person on this planet has to address at some point, is who is Jesus? And what am I going to do with who Jesus has revealed himself to be? And when Paul looked at that question, he realized the only answer is to give his life and come into that relationship. So if that is you today, let us um, have a discussion afterwards. Come and talk to us about what a relationship like that looks like. The other reality that shaped Paul was the reality of eternity. He knew that there was this resurrection from death, that there was a life beyond this life. Now, that wasn't normal necessarily in his culture. You'd think in growing up in a religious culture that that's just believed, but actually there was this big debate between this religious group called the Pharisees and another religious group called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees went, no, there's no life after death, which is what most people around you probably believe. That, Look, this, is, this life is all we've got, make the most of it, and that's it. But the Pharisees, the group that Paul was a part of, were they going, well, no, we, we're not kind of sure what that life looks like, but we're pretty sure there's something more than this life. But there was still a lack of clarity around that. But when Paul encounters Jesus, he goes, wow, it just cements it in for him. It just anchors his whole life in faith because he's going, hang on, if Jesus died on a cross and he rose again and he's now alive and he still lives and can be present here on earth as well as heaven, okay, that's real. Resurrection is real. And that just changed his whole view on eternity and it changed the whole way Paul orientates his life. See, most people, like Paul, we, we, we work our vision for life the wrong way around. We start with, well, what do I want to do now? Like, what, do I, what fulfills me? What, what energizes me now? And then do I want to keep doing that in the future? And then eventually we might think, well, maybe something happens after I die. But Paul's saying, no, flip it right around the other way. Actually, orientate your life with the certainty that eternity is real. You are going to live forever. We are all going to live forever. Now, think about how you want to live in eternity and then take a step back and think, well, what do I live for in this life? And then look at, well, how is that expressed today? Do you see how it's, it's the complete opposite? And Paul is expressing this in this passage. He's saying, look, don't do what I did. Don't live for yourself. First of all, step one is live for Christ. And then step two is 
Live your life in the way of, in, in the light of eternity. And then you'll get your priorities right. As Jonty was sharing last week, is, we have to constantly look at the responsibilities that we're holding and how much we're carrying. And is that in line with God's purposes and vision for our lives? Now, if you want to talk more about that, have that conversation of what a relationship with Christ looks like, please come and chat to Jonty and I afterwards. We'd love to have that conversation with you. However, I do appreciate that there are many of you here listening that you've made that decision and you go, okay, I got that. I'm cool with that. I know Jesus. I know that he has my back. I know that I'm going to go to be with him after I die. And I know that it doesn't matter what I face in this life, his love for me is secure. You know, the whole Romans 8 thing, no, you know, um, doesn't matter what happens in this life, height nor death, death or life, God's got me. He loves me. He's there for me. And that's cool. But don't, don't stop there. Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to say this in Philippians 3 verse 12. Not that I have already obtained all of this, this life that God has for me, or have already arrived at my goal. And this is later in his life that he's, that he's penning these words. But I press on to take hold of that which Christ has taken hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What we see in Paul's testimony here, but what we also see in Paul's letters and what other people have written about his life is that Paul isn't just satisfied to have the kind of the big picture thing sorted out and kind of tick that box and go, okay, yep, I'm a Christian, got my ticket to heaven, I'm sweet, now I'll just go back and focus on what I want to do in life. He actually comes before God on a regular basis and goes, okay, God, what do you want me to do today? What is the hope for today? What is the vision for today? What are the specifics? Give me some clarity as to... What do I, how do I live this life that you've got for me? And he's constantly seeking that. He's constantly adjusting to that. He's not just sort of settling down and going, okay, it's, it's all good. Actually, Paul's early ministry, he travels up through what we would now know as Turkey, then called Asia Minor, through that sort of region of Galatia, up through Philippi here, which is now present day sort of northern Greece and down into Greece around Corinth and Ephesus, all in Turkey, all those places with incredible success. Like hundreds of people, probably thousands of people came to faith. He established lots and lots of churches. And he could have just lived out his life um, basking in the glory of that success and gone, well, I've, I've done it. God, I've asked, I've done what you've called me to do. I, I, I went to all these places and I, and I did all these things for you. And, he, and God would go, great. Now I want you to go back to Jerusalem. And then after Jerusalem, I want you to go to Rome. Now, now, for Paul, that was a big ask. Now, just think about this, if, if you put yourself in Paul's situation, is you've got a whole bunch of churches and people over here that really love you. They, they, they think you're the bee's knees, and you know, it's, it's really easy to spend time there and all that thing. And, and, and then God's saying, now I want you to go back to the place where you're probably going to get killed. 
you know, would, you know this is a bit of a tough call. And so Paul's like going, God, I really need some clarity on this one. Like, you know, are you sure about this? You know, are you sure? So he does, but he does. He, he knows that that's what God's calling him to do. So he goes back to Jerusalem. And sure enough, there are people, there's actually a, a 40 people gathered together. You can read the story and it's in Acts chapter 23, where they actually try to set an ambush. And um, he's actually staying in the prison, in the in the barracks for protection amongst other soldiers so that he doesn't get killed. But he knows as soon as he leaves the, the barracks, there's this ambush waiting for him. And so he, he's a bit kind of going, God, is this it? Is this the end? Is this what you've got for me, that you've brought me to Jerusalem and I'm going to die here? But then we read this verse in Acts chapter 23, verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you also will testify in Rome. So Paul knows at this point that they might try and kill him, but they're not going to kill him because he's got a vision for the future. He's got some clarity as to what he's going to do next. And if you read the latter part of Acts, it's all about that journey getting from Jerusalem to Rome. And he goes through a shipwreck and he goes through a whole bunch of things. But eventually, right at the end of the book of Acts, he gets to Rome and he's able to um, witness to uh, the people of Rome. And as you know, the church gets established in Rome and then spreads right around the Roman Empire. So it was obviously what God wanted him to do, the specifics of what he wanted him to do. Not just a general idea, but specifically what God had called him to do. Now, wouldn't we want to live a life like that? Where we live in not just the, the, the big picture of God's purpose for our lives, but specifically day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, doing what God has called us to do. And being able to get to the end of our lives and look back at the legacy that God has done through us. Paul's saying, that's worth pressing into. That's a prize worth going after. That's something worth not looking back in your life and where, how you're not good enough or you're disqualifying yourself, but looking forward to all that God has for you. Let me give you an example of someone I read about this week who did, who did that. This guy's name, Robert Laidlaw. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy called Robert Laidlaw. Um, he was uh, born in the 19th century, so quite a while ago now. Um, a committed Christian, uh, went to an open brethren church. But God just gave him a gift right at a young age of being an entrepreneur. Kind of like these guys off The Apprentice, but just with a slightly um, clearer vision. Because he not only saw that um, God had given them the gift of um, business acumen, but he had given him the gift of uh, using those leadership skills to further God's kingdom, in New Zealand in particular. So at the age, by his mid-twenties, he had already started a very successful mail-order company around, um, I think, around the 1920s, 1930s, thereabouts. And then, soon after that, he established a connection with all the farmers and uh, supplying the farmers around the country, and he started a shop. You may have heard of it. It's called Farmers. He started the Farmers chain of department stores. And obviously, an incredible successful company in its day. It's somewhat successful now, but it was very successful 
in the decades in New Zealand and as part of our church history. But not only did Robert Laidlaw start the farmers' department stores, but he also had a vision to extend the kingdom of God in our nation. And he went, God, how do you want me to do this? And because he understood the whole mail system and um, you know, connecting with a, a wide population, he used those skills to actually send out Sunday school material. Actually, a lot of the, the there's still a program now, I can't remember what it's called, but it, it supplies Sunday school material to remote areas right around our country, started by Robert Laidlaw, um, you know, close to 100 years ago now. And then not only did that, he start that, but he went, hang on a minute, we not only need to train kids so that they understand the gospel and they understand Christ and who he is, but if they're going to come along to church, we need good church leaders. So he thought, hey, got, got together with another guy and went, hey, let's start a Bible college. So they started a Bible college, and to this day, it is still the largest Bible college in New Zealand. used to be called Bible College of New Zealand, now called Laidlaw College after the founder, Robert Laidlaw. That's leaving a legacy. That's having a vision, not just for furthering his own needs and looking after himself, but going, what can I do for God? And what is, what is God leading me to do? If you had asked Robert Laidlaw why he, do, he did what he did, he would be able to give you a really accurate answer to that question. He knew his why. He knew what God had called him to do. Do you know your why? Do you know why you do what you do? Do you know with clarity what God is calling you to do and why you're doing what you're doing now? And this week, in the devotional notes that you've, that you've got there, I'm taking you through five different areas of exploring that question what that looks like. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on them now, but you can go through them this week. But one of them is relationships. God has placed you in a family. He has placed people around your life. Now, you don't get to choose your family, right? And some of you are going, yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, some of the kids are going, yeah, I know. Uh, but God has placed you in the family that you're in for a reason so that they can minister to you and you can minister to them. He has brought people around you. You're in this church for a reason. The, the workplace, you're in the relationships that are there or your, wherever you study or the friends that are around your life are there for a reason. And one of the reasons is for you to take God's life that is in you and extend it to them. And you can ask, God specifically, okay, what does that look like now? So think that through. Who has God placed around my life and how can I minister to them? Think about your ministry. What, what has God called you to do? What giftings has he placed in your life and how is that expressed? Look at your work and your study. Like how, how, What has God given you to do, and how is the kingdom how expressed in what you do during the week? Your finances. Oh, now it's sitting home. What is God calling me to do with my money? See, it's not just about, okay, well, I give a bit of money to the church and then I'll just do what I can with the rest of it. It's about what Paul is expressing here is I, can, I, I lay it all down for God to take up in my life. My time, my energy, my money. 
How am I using that for God's glory? To glorify him, to magnify him, to see his kingdom um, grow in the world around me. What about my time? Am I making the best use of my time? And in all these areas, look at the why. Why do I spend money where I spend money? Why, why do I um, spend uh, my time doing what I'm doing? And asking the question, where's the godly vision in all these different areas? Not just that you have a relationship with God and you got your ticket to heaven, but how, what, what is the vision? What is the why for now? What is God calling me to do now and in the future? Because if you have a clear vision for all those different areas of your life and you know the why, you know what God is calling you to do, you'll have a resilience to get through the difficulties. Even if you do somewhat of a, a mundane job or you're kind of stuck and, uh, and you feel like, oh, you just don't have that many opportunities. God, it's amazing if you have the right attitude and you allow God to drop that vision in your heart. It's incredible what God will do through you. I was just talking to uh, Susie Daly before, who's had a had a had a pretty big week. Um, Susie has she. I think she would even admit a, a reasonably mundane job. Um, she's sorting carrots on a um, on a grading carrots on a conveyor belt, but she doesn't just see that. This is a job about grading carrots. It's about the relationships that she has with those that she's working on on those, that packing line and, or that grading line. And some of those relationships in the last few weeks have been pretty challenging and it's been pretty hard work. It's been one of those trials where Susie's needed some resilience. But one of the fantastic things that I see in, in Susie is she has this vision. She knows that God has called her in that place for now for a reason, and that she's there to influence those around her. And earlier on this week, as the grading carrots are coming down the conveyor belt, she gets in this conversation with a young lady across the conveyor belt from her, and this young lady's really open to uh, the gospel. Um, so they can't stop working, so she shares the gospel with this young lady, and this young lady's going, Oh, yeah, yeah, I get all that. And so Susie's going, well, do you want to give your life to Christ? And she's going, yeah, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, well, that's what I want to do. So, so Susie prays for her, and, and she gets her to pray this prayer while they're still grading the carrots. They didn't miss any. I hope you, I hope you did a good job there. You're still good. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and, um, and this girl, she's really impacted. She starts crying, and, you know, and God's doing an amazing thing. You know? She quickly whips around, gives her a hug, then whips around back around and keeps grading the carrots. That's vision. That's having a vision for more than just what you're doing in the present. We can have a vision and a hope and a purpose around our lives that is much bigger than winning $50,000 on a TV show. It's much bigger than whatever you're doing, whatever you're stuck in in your daily life. There is a bigger vision here of eternity which you get to be a part of. And if you humbly come before God with every aspect of your life and say, God, show me what that looks like in my finances. Show me what that looks like in my family life. Show me what that looks like in my work life. Show me what that looks like in my time and my energy and in my church involvement. God will direct you. God will lead you.
Now, there'll be changes along the way. It won't all stay fixed. You won't, you won't get it. I don't know about you, but uh, in my experience, God doesn't sort of lay out the whole 20-year plan. He just gives me the next step. All you need to know in God's purposes is not the whole picture. All you need to know is the next step. And for God to fill you with a vision and a calling for what he's calling you next. If you have that, if you build that into your life, you'll have a resilience that goes way beyond those around you. When difficulties come, when, when external challenges come, like the image of the tree up here, where a storm comes and buffets, you've got those roots deep into you in, in the ground in Christ. And one of those roots is a clarity of vision of why you do what you do. And when you're challenged by that, you're able to give an answer. So to sort of wrap this up this morning, if you don't know Jesus, let's have the conversation about what that looks like. Here's the second thing. Whatever you're doing at the moment, allow God to speak in and give you fresh vision in what you're doing. He may not have done that for a while. You know, life just carries on. But take a fresh look at your relationships and your time and your energy and, and what you're doing and go, God, give me a vision for why I do what I'm doing and where you are in this. And the last area I want to look at is God could be leading you into a new area. This could be a, a period of change for some of you where your work's going to change or there's new relationships or a new opportunity that's opening up or a new ministry opportunity that is opening up for you. We want to pray into that this morning as well, that God guides you and gives you a clear vision of what that looks like. The overall goal is this, that we would be able to pray a prayer like Paul does here in verse 12 where he says, not that I have already obtained all of this. We, none of us have arrived, okay? We're all on the journey. Or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. May we press on to take hold of that which Christ has taken hold of us. Can we do that? Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.